Hi, this is Ashley Farode, and you are listening to Behind the Bio, the podcast about the people behind the professions. In this episode, Amanda Whitley is my guest. I've been looking forward to speaking to Amanda for quite some time. We just needed to find a moment in her busy schedule that would allow us to get together in front of a microphone. Amanda is the founder of Hacambra. That, of course, started more than a decade ago and has, for all that time, been uniting the community of Canberra. Amanda takes us back to what started her passion for communications and how she moved through journalism, then PR, and ultimately to communications to essentially create the skill set she needed to not only work in government, but to ultimately start off what Hacambra is now. So we discussed the importance of an online publication such as this in forging communities, uniting interests, and ultimately impacting people's lives, even of those that she does not know. We also discussed the evolution that's needed in an ever-changing media landscape, and ultimately what she thinks her camera might be in the years to come. If you're into media, PR, comms, journalism, even events, then this is most certainly the conversation for you. Or perhaps you're an avid reader of Hacambra and want to know more about the person behind it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Thank you to Coordinate for making this conversation and in fact all the others in this podcast possible. And I really hope you enjoy my chat with Amanda Whitley on Behind the Bio. Hi Amanda, how are you going? I'm good. Has this not been in the making for like a month? About a million years, I think. (laughs) Proves proves the point that you're exceptionally busy. And even today, we were supposed to start about half an hour ago. And and here we are. But here we are. That's the most important bit. We are here. We are here. I did actually want to talk about how you keep the life that you keep and I'm not don't just mean professionally but you know you've got two daughters and a cat is it one cat or two cats it's one very demanding it's one cat. cat that's right um and of course a husband which we had a less demanding than a cat <laughs> yes <laughs> that's right and there's a lot of stuff going on in your life and yet you know you still somehow manage to find an hour to kind of talk to me which is fantastic even though we had to move it around lots so I do want to get to that bit eventually because I think a lot of people wonder how you manage to juggle things but let's just presume there is some very small percentage of people that are going to listen to this that don't know who you are. And we need to give them a bit of a background. So we could talk about you professionally. I know there's a public service career and from memory I had parental leave and that's how the idea of this spawned. Yep. But, but before we get onto that, I, I want to go backwards further. Were you born here? Were you born somewhere else? What drove you to Canberra? I just want to get the early kind of Amanda picture before we get into the career a bit. Yeah, sure. Look, I'm, I'm a country girl, so I grew up, um, well, was born in Wagga, but I actually uh, lived in a tiny tiny town called Takara who anyone who had driven to Melbourne probably prior to about 10 years ago would have gone through so you know 300 people um not very much other than a general store and a couple of servos and a pub or two um but but, you know it was um an idyllic I think upbringing really for for kids we had the run of the town my dad worked on the DMR, which is now the RTA, so Roads and Traffic Authority. My mum kind of did a million odd jobs from working at the general store to being a hotel cleaner to driving the school bus, all of those sorts of yeah. things. Um, we moved to a slightly larger town um, called Narandra in, um, when I was 12. Um, and Look, you know, it was just I, I enjoyed being a, a country kid, but I sort of, like most country kids, I guess, couldn't wait to get out. Um, and when I, um, I guess, looked at unis, it was either going to be Canberra or Sydney, uh-huh. and um, and I ended up in Canberra. And I think you know that was a really good transition for for someone from the country. Less of a shock. Than it's Sydney. still a big smoke, but not the big big smoke. Yeah, look, you know, and went to UC and uh, I remember I remember mum and dad and my sister dropping me off and I was living on resis in the old egg cartons and I arrived and there was this party going on and there were these guys running around in their undies and they'd sawed the top off an old Cortina and it had beer stickers on it and they were basically drinking beer and eating wheat bix out of a blow-up pool 
And I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) I don't think my mum was really keen to leave me. But, you know, that was my introduction to Canberra. It's a lot tamer now. I I promise you that doesn't happen there these days. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, for me it was, you know, I'd always – I'd always wanted to write, always thought I'd be a journo um, and then realised that actually I, when I discovered that PR was a career, which I had no idea, mm. that I'd actually been doing a lot of that stuff anyway. I was, you know, I was school captain. I'd organised our end of year show. I'd done all the fundraising. And I was like, wow, this is something I can do as a career. How about that? Yeah. And um, it's much better suited to my very short attention span. PR then rather than journalism? Yeah. I think the thing that attracts me to, um, attracted me to PR was that, you know, I got to do, I got to write, but I also got to organise events and do lots of really yeah. creative things. And that's still what I love about working in communications um, is that, you know, you're never doing the same thing on any one day. And as you can see from the twists and turns this interview's taken so far, I have a very tangential brain. <laughs> so, you know, it, it suits me to um, not be sort of focused on one straight line for too long. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, and I'm sure we'll go through this in a moment, that um, if I think that the, of the things that you've been doing, it's most certainly, well, not in journalism, but most certainly in writing rather than PR. And a lot of the work that you've been doing in campaigns and governments, for example. I mean, yes, that is public relations as it's, it's communications to the public, but not in the strict sense of PR, what we think of commercial PR, but rather more government communications. And communications leans closer probably to journalism, I would say, than, than PR. I could be completely wrong about no, this. No, you're absolutely right. And look, in the amount of work that I've done strictly in the PR space is actually fairly, fairly mm. limited. I mean, I... Um, you know, fast forwarding a couple of years after uni. So, you know, I I used to travel down to Sydney pretty much every holidays because I was obsessed with the idea of becoming, um, for working for one of the magazines, you know. And I, as I think any, so many girls that were interested in journal and comms at, you know, at that time pretty much had the same dream. Um, but I somehow ended up in the publicity department of ACP doing internships and, realized that you know that was you know what I was really keen to do mm-hmm. you know I got to go to a couple of Dolly Covergirl parties and you know for for a small town girl like that is like yeah. living my best life kind of stuff um so I managed to get myself out of uni um a job as a PR assistant in a fashion and beauty publicity agency um and we were doing you know we had Yardley and Maybelline and Ray-Ban and all of this and I freaking hated it so much. How come? What was the problem? Oh, uh, look, <laughs> I probably didn't have the best boss in the world. Like, and that was mm. a valuable lesson in terms of the kind of boss I didn't want to be. Um, but it was just, I don't know. I'm a pretty much no bullshit person. Um, and I just found the entire industry was just so shallow and not very judgmental you know um it was all about who was a size six and who had the labels and you know and growing up in a small country town like I th- I'm pretty sure I pronounced it Versace rather than Versace and you know I, ju- I just didn't fit in and I felt that very acutely for the record I didn't know how to pronounce Givenchy which I'm probably still saying wrong for a very long time I this is that in Bulgari I kept on going, how do you pronounce that thing in the middle? But anyway, that's, <laughs> so you don't have to be from the country not to have problems with pronunciations, that's for sure. But, you know, I understand what you mean. It's, it's, but also there could have been off the time a little bit too. I'm presuming PR as an industry has probably changed quite a fair bit. And we're talking about PR at that time, which we're talking 90s? Yeah, so that was 94. Yeah. That particular time, that particular industry, I could definitely imagine you would have been exposed to some stuff that by now standards probably seems rather shallow. And Yeah, look, I mean, I sort of, I certainly learnt a lot, both good and bad, from that job. Um, and, you know, I guess it taught me what I didn't want to do, probably, um, which was really quite a shock for me since I'd been so focused on that yeah. for so long. But it was kind of about... Like, I think I've been in the job for nearly a year when my dad was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So 
I guess that kind of I started to think, you know, maybe I should be closer to my family again. So um, I actually applied for a marketing assistant job with Riverina Citrus Marketing, which was an organisation um, formed under the Marketing of Primary Products Act and that was funded by grower levies for however much citrus they grew. Um, you know, totally, totally different yeah, to very fashion industry PR. and corporate. But, you know, I kind of... I went there and I felt valued for what I knew and the people were nice and I think most of all I just liked being able to walk into the pub on a Friday afternoon and say hello to people that I knew who would have a chat to you rather than, you know, my experience in Sydney, which was obviously it's a massive anonymous city that you don't – it's really, really hard to meet people. Mm. And so I'd really miss that country um, sort of, I guess, hospitality. The connection and community that exists. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Often, often people say that just because you stick a lot of people together, actually you can feel more alone in that than anything else because as, if you don't have the community or at least a network around that, and in fact if the size of a place prevents you from having a close network because your friends are out on the other side, which means you don't see them as often, all that kind of jazz, it actually makes people a lot more lonely than... Say, for example, people who don't have as much choice in the people they pick to be friends because, you know, there's a small population, but it's so much easier to see them and therefore you do become closer to those around you. So it makes Absolutely. perfect sense. Yeah, and so I look, I guess that that was when I sort of first started really broadening my focus from PR to what became, I guess, more general comms. Um, and, you know, that was, it was a really fascinating, um, role because I learned, I can still talk to you quite a bit about microjet irrigation, irrigation and <laughs> all of that sort of thing. But Not another podcast, perhaps. <laughs> um, you know, it was just, it was unlike anything I'd, I'd done before. And, you know, one of the things I like, I love learning new stuff. Like, you know, Google was made for my brain. I like learning mm. and knowing stuff. But it was also, you know, it was a job that just gave me a huge opportunity. So, um, after about a year in, the then executive officer um, left and um, the committee that governed it said, hey, while we recruit for someone else, can you kind of step up? And I was 22, I think. So it was, you know, an organisation of five people responsible to, you know, 450 mostly male, mostly Italian citrus growers who quite rightly looking back looked at me and were like, what the hell does she know about anything? <laughs> um, but, you know, I, you know, my 22-year-old self went, sure, I'll give it a go. And, and they never did replace me until I decided it was time to go five years later. But, you know, in that time I just – I had so many incredible experiences. You know, I represented the industry at Parliament House. I, you know, ran – nationwide citrus marketing um, campaigns I we had Pauline Hansen in town once lobbying for uh, lobbying against the import of frozen concentrated orange juice it was just so like it yes uh, it was just so far out of my comfort zone but I just you know I always sort of say you know bite off more than you think you can chew and chew like crazy and so that's what I did Mm. and it was honestly probably the biggest learning experience of my career so that must have been all that experience that ultimately allowed you to then work in government act right yes so am i right that at some point you was it the internship that you did with mama mia so i spent um when i'd finished with citrus Mm -hmm. i came and um I got a job in with the Federal Department of Employment and Workplace Relations and Small Business. Yeah. I stayed with that department in its various iterations for a good 10 years. Um, when I was pregnant with Sophia, who's our youngest, um, when I was 25 weeks, I had to go into hospital on bed rest. Um, and that is where I stayed until um, she was born at 30 weeks, six mm. weeks later. And then she was in hospital for 10 weeks after that. She developed chronic lung disease when she came out, they were just like, well, A, she's not going to be very well for a couple of years, and B, you can't even think about going back to work because she can't do childcare. Right. Because, you know, any parent with a, a small child or a toddler that's got kids in childcare know just how horrible that is that first sort of year, first winter. So, you know, put a child with 
not great lungs in that situation and Mm. it's a recipe for disaster. So I sort of found myself, you know, um, on extended parental leave. Um, I wouldn't say bored because, you know, it it was more I was isolated and, you know, for for someone who loves being around people, that was really, really hard. And, you know, probably also suffering some PTSD from everything that had happened in those couple of years. So I think it's all a, it's all quite a long time ago now, probably like 14 years ago, but I remember reading about Mia Friedman starting this this website, Mamma Mia, I think it was in like the Sunday magazine or something. Mm. And I thought, oh, that looks interesting, and I sort of checked it out and um, started. This is back in the day when, you know, commenting on blogs was what you did. Yeah. Um, social media wasn't really a thing for businesses yet. Um, and, you know... There was just there was a small group of us who commented um, frequently, and you kind of got to know these people, and then you started talking to them offline in chat groups and all this sort of thing. And um, and after a while, um, I think it was actually when I was in one of the hospital visits with Soph after one of the wintry times we spent in there, that Mia reached out to myself and a, a couple of others to say, "Hey, this thing's getting big." Mm. I really need a hand. Um, would you be up for it? Um, obviously, completely on a voluntary basis, which is how Canberra also started. Yep. Um, and so, you know, so we said, yeah, sure, no worries. And for me, it was my role was kind of moderating comments because I am quite diplomatic and quite <laughs> calm most of the time. Um, but also, you know, just I guess coming up with content ideas and pitches and that sort of thing and just basically helping behind the scenes and you know and I did that for probably about a year um and really enjoyed it um and it was a wonderful you know not only was it I did I feel part of something but it was a great it was great to use my brain again um but at the end of the day you know uh, when it when it became bigger and you know Mamma Mia used to court controversy probably more than it does now you know uh, it just it caused me so much anxiety and, you know, and I felt that I couldn't be away from my computer because something might happen that I'd have to, you know, hose down. And I thought, oh, you know, what am I doing? You know, I'm not getting paid for this. I just, I need to just take a step back Mm. from my own kind of sanity. Um, And yeah, and I kind of just stepped right away from anything to do with, with blogging and I guess got back into life a bit. Mm. But it gave you such a, brilliant view of exactly the side of media that was just beginning to grow then. And interestingly, if I'm right, uh, Mia Friedman worked in female fashion magazines for quite some time. That's what her background was, which in fact, the whole Mamma Mia movement and what it stands for right now is the exact counter to that. Yes. Uh, And it's interesting because your kind of reference to PR industry in the mid nineties around, you know, how it kind of portrayed things and what it was all about is exactly the reason she probably left that scene as well. So you both had um, that view and and then perhaps working on something that was the very beginning of essentially a very different movement in in media, mostly in digital and social, but look where it is now. Um, Yeah, look, I mean, the thing about Mia and her husband, Jason, who, you know, he's he's a brilliant businessman. Mm. You know, they've always just been ahead of the curve, I think, and, you know, and... I, I watch in quite uh, quite awe, I think, as I've seen how they've managed to evolve and pivot across that sort of 14, 15 years. You know, they like we are in such a rapidly changing world and it's something that I'm acutely aware of as the publisher of a website which, you know, um, has been around for nearly 12 years but also as the mother of teenagers who do not consume their information from websites so i'm very very aware that we need to be thinking what does the future of our platform look like because if the future if our future readers aren't reading websites then how do we repackage Mm. ourselves and reinvent ourselves to still be relevant you know when they're you know in the next 10 years so i've really admired how mama mia has gone all right We've got a website, but 
hey, let's branch out into podcasts. Let's look at, you know, Mia has a lady startup lounge, which is all about, you know, developing female entrepreneurs. They're just, you know, they're, they're so doing events, clever. They're doing yeah, road so shows. There is an entertainment component attached yeah. to it as well. And thing I, yeah. you know, I think the thing that I admire and the thing I think that's similar about my approach is that we've tried different things over the years. Like, you know, we, we had a print magazine, obviously, until yeah. COVID sort of put an end to that. Um, you know, we had a wedding section to that for a while. We had a wedding event, which nearly killed us, but was amazing. Um, you know, we've had, we've had events. We've had, we've just tried a lot of different things. And my view is always just look, give it a run. If it works, fantastic. Keep doing it. If it doesn't, well then, you know, I mean, you haven't really lost anything. You make it sound quite casual, but I, I'm I'm sure that you know all those events that you've mentioned have been well thought out. It's it's not this sounds like a good idea. I'm sure it's like well, we're giving a very good chance to something that on paper and in the way that we discuss it probably will work. But there is this whole element of it. I don't know, forty percent for argument's sake. They're like this might not because you can't read people and how they will respond to something they might have not experienced before. So there is this whole element of let's throw it up in the air. But I'm sure it was based on sound judgment, which is why all of the things that that you did, um, I would deem to be quite successful. I mean, those events that you spoke about, there had plenty of people. There was no shortage of people reading the magazines that you've mentioned. And you know, you've made a change from from obviously from print to pay to digital. Or actually it was already digital but to print yeah. and then digital back again um just because that's what the audience wanted but yeah it wasn't, well, it wasn't yeah casual, I mean it's like I've I've always been very gut driven um you know you do any personality profile on me and there's very little analytical thought involved in a lot of things do you know which one you are by the way out of the 16 do you remember yes absolutely because my daughter is bloody obsessed with Myers-Briggs I'm an ENFP all right. And did you know, because you know how you break it down and they actually give you a title out of the 16? I'm a person? campaigner. There we go. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, oh. look, yeah, Liv has introduced me to a number of uh, a memes thing on ANFP <laughs> memes, and it's very, 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 very <laughs> confrontingly correct. It is. <laughs> but look, you know, I, I guess that's like, I'm a, very much a feeler and I'm intuitive and. I, that's something that I've had to learn to manage in myself as I've got older because I know that I'm very impulsive. And, you know, that was when I had the idea for her Canberra. Um, I remember thinking to myself, I'm just going to sit with this idea for a while and just see if it goes anywhere because I have more ideas than I have time or money sure. always. Um, and that was the one time that it just, you know, it did not go away. It kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger until I, you know, wrote it down on a double-sided A4 piece of paper and took my husband out to dinner and said, I've got an idea. Um, you know, and I had by this point planned it out. It was just like, this is what it'll be. This is who it will target. This is the kind of content we would have. Um, this is how we might make money someday. You know. And also how much this might be needing an investment. Did you go to that kind of business model? Did not. Did not. <laughs> um, and let me tell you, one of the things that um, I always say to people when they ask for advice on starting a business is go and learn how to run a business first mm-hmm. because, you know, I had no idea um, about any of the mechanics involved, you know, anything about cash flow, nothing, none of that. How many staff, what soup we have to pay them, exactly. what all costs them. Exactly. Yeah. But, look, you know, I had um, – I was very fortunate in that I was about to go back into the public service when they were doing a, a round of voluntary redundancies and we did the sums and I was like, well, I'd have to work part-time for two years to get what they're offering me. So I had, you know, that, that safety net. Yep. Um, because it was, it was during the time after I'd accepted the VR that this idea came to life because for the first time in my life – I'd actually had the chance to stop and think about what I wanted to do with my life because, you know, you sort of start on this. I think particularly, you know, when I was a kid, it was very much, you know, you go to school, you decide what you're going to do at uni, you go to uni, you get your degree, you work and work and work and work and work. From A to B, yeah. Exactly. Very linear. That's what you did. And so for me, you know, for the first time in my life, I was like, well, shit, what do I want to do with with my life? 
And I thought about do I because I've always enjoyed graphic design and you know I'm good enough to do my own sort of bits and pieces. I thought, do I want to lean more into that? Do I want to think about executive coaching? What you know, all of these things. And it was during that period where I was really just doing some introspection that you know the idea for her Canberra sort of came about. Um, and I think you know really just wrapped all of the experience and skills mm-hmm. that I'd learnt and, you know, and that, I guess, that sense of, you know, being able to build a community, which, you know, I'd done a lot of culture roles in my career. Yeah. You know, I don't know, it all just seemed to come together. Well, and- I, but even from the conversation we just had, I mean, it's, it's clear, clear to understand that one of the things you hold close to your uh, country upbringing is the sense of community, so the connection. So that's a given. So that must have been the underpinning principle of creating Hair Canberra. Absolutely it was. It was, you know, the reason why I created it was because I was isolated. I wanted to find, like, it was me honestly Googling kid-friendly places to eat or things to do with your toddler in Canberra. Could not find a bloody thing. Yeah. And that was the impetus for it. I was like, well, if I'm looking for it, surely there are other people that are searching mm. for it. And, you know, it was at that – I honestly think that timing was everything with her camera because it was just – it was at that time when people had just started to embrace social media for yeah. more than just, you know, hey, here are photos of my kids. Yeah. You know, it was businesses were starting to cotton onto the fact that this was a useful tool. Um and I honestly think that if I'd been, you know, three years later, it would have been a very different story. But it was just the time was perfect. And for me, it was just I wanted to connect with other people. And that was the the thing, you know, in that, that initial business plan was that it was about connecting women with their city and each other. Mm. You know, that's broadened out now to be people yeah. with their city. Exactly. Um, but, you know, that's connection has always been what it's about and you know and it's funny if you look at my personality profile that's what it is it's about connecting people yeah, so. yeah and having that emotion behind it too so i think because what i'm hearing is apart from you know your background and understanding those things like community and, and that connection importance there's this functional aspect of but people need to share information about things and actually you know you working on that blog with Mamma Mia and so forth would have given you an idea of how it is that people communicate and what about and what's important to them. So that's the second part of it. And the third is, you know, your A4 or A3, however big that piece of paper was that you flung out at dinner. Clearly, there was an understanding at least, if not right down to the business principles, most certainly of a demand in the market for something that was missing. And hence why you said there was the perfect time to do that. Um, and of course, maybe one other thing you could add in there is, you know, in terms of people getting used to social or digital being the source of information beyond just posting pictures of their kids, that was the fourth part. That was a channel. So yep. if I connect up those four things on a whiteboard, that, that is what her camera is. So Absolutely. And I think, look, you know, I think for me, her camera was reflective of it a point in time of my life where I was, you know, I was look, I was a stay-at-home mum <clears throat> looking to connect with other women in particular who are in my situation. But I, you know, I always wanted it to be about more than just, like I said way back when, I didn't want it to be another mummy blog in inverted commas. Like yeah. I wanted it to be about connecting all women across. And that's the reason why it was always about, you know, um, having those content pillars, you know, it was about conversation, it was about the city, it was about life, etc. And, you know, and I guess as as I got to know and love Canberra more, you know, I realised just how much people were really desperate to connect with their city and what was going on. And, you know, we are now, I think, you know, we're just such a fiercely proud population and, you know, as her camera has evolved, we've, we're, you know, I, I don't think I'm overstating it to say that I think, you know, we're Canberra's preeminent lifestyle mm-hmm. publication. And I think that we probably know this city better than anyone else. Um, we certainly really, really try hard to keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening. Yeah. But I think, you know, the key also is that we love this city and, you know, we want, 
everyone else to love it as much as we do. And, mm. you know, that's um, because it really is a remarkable place to live. Well, it's coming from a sincere place. I mean, the business wasn't developed to make money out of, uh, you know, a particular notion. Yep. The business was created to connect people and communicate about that. And as a result of that, it's a successful business. It's, yeah, the, the principle isn't definitely in the right space. Look, digital media is incredibly hard to monetize, um, yeah. particularly if you're trying to do that in a very authentic um, yeah. way. Um, but, you know, again, you know, I've been very privileged that I haven't had to focus on making bazillion dollars, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. For me, it's as long as, you know, as long as we're paying the bills, then that's great. Speaking not so much of bills, but your, your work, uh, during, I think, COVID, you went back into the city government to assist with the um, COVID information yep. rollout and so on. Am I allowed to talk about this or yeah. will I get... Okay. Absolutely. I don't know if this was <laughs> secretive or not. <laughs> government yes. officials would break down... I'll tell the... you a bit, then I'd have to kill you. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. How hard or easy was it to shift your mind? And, you know, it most certainly... You've got a couple of brains, I think. That's what's happening here, which is why some of part of your brain, or one of them is going creative ideas, and another one's, hey, this is all about good comms, and another one's about commu- community. So I think that's the way you work. You just don't have one brain. But how hard or easy was it to switch out of, you know, years of work at Her Canberra with very much the angle that talks about lifestyle, community, all those things, into something that's for the community, but very serious, quite timely, um, probably very controlled because everybody was hanging off every single word of advice that was given out. There's probably a lot of pressure in that too, not that there wouldn't be in Hakambra either. Was it hard or easy enough to switch between one and the other and then move back into Hakambra when, um, when that finished? Look, it's so having worked in federal government for so long, I actually started blogging and doing that sort of thing as a way to rediscover my style mm-hmm. because I'd just become so good at writing briefs and proposals and that sort of thing that I'd forgotten how to be creative. Um, but, you know, I retained that ability to communicate at a very, you know, in a very structured corporate way. Um, the adjustment, I think, you know, is on is on two levels. So, I mean... Obviously, the emotional um, change or decision to have to leave the business to save the business and go into that role was a really um, hard one, yeah. but necessary. Um, but in terms of the work, look, you know, I I switched gears relatively easily, I think, because you know the the. The underpinning principles are the same, right? It's about community and it's about giving the community the information that they need and that, um, you know, and packaging it up in a way that is going to um, achieve penetration. So I was very, very fortunate that this, like ACT government is a very, very different beast to federal. It, you know, it's, it's smaller, it's more agile. You can see the impact of your work immediately which I personally really enjoy um and it was during a a time you know of crisis like things don't work the way they usually work in the public service um we had to work fast we had to make decisions fast we didn't have three months to send a minute up and you know wait for things to come down so you know that kind of that whole process was expedited and we had access to do the things that we needed to do um, yes, incredibly pressurized, as you would expect, but we're also given the freedom to really get quite creative. And, you know, I'm really particularly proud of the work we did in the social space um, because, you know, we're all, everyone was just so sick of stuff about, you know, hearing about COVID. Um, but it really was the only thing that was in our worlds at that that point and so it was a real challenge for us to be able to communicate you know important health information but and be able to pivot between um a style that was very factual and um you know and this is very important for you to know but also you know with the playful as well you know we did things with yoda we did things with you know 
We loved a good pun. Like it was, you know, how many broad burgers do you need to stay apart kind of thing. So, you know, just honestly the team, like they – I will never say a bad word about public servants, despite, you know, the the bad rap they get, because they are some of the hardest working people and, you know, and committed and creative and talented and just, you know, it was incredible. So, you know, it was a very different environment to work in, but it was also um, familiar and, you know, and I think, again, the principles are the same, it just might look different from the yeah. outside. I mean, it's good, really good to hear because a couple of the guests that I've had on this show over the last couple of years, some of them have worked in the public service, including yours truly. And, you know, there is a bit of a joke, you know, the public service is not for me because there's too many cogs, I don't feel like I can make a difference, things are too slow, etc., etc. And that indeed is a truthful experience of the people that I've yeah, spoken absolutely. to, so that's fine. But I like the fact that you are talking about especially at a time of immense pressure and responsibility for the local government to divulge information in a way that could be easily understood and with a bit of emotion attached to it, hopefully positive emotion, um, you know, during a time of great stress for, for the nation's capital and everywhere else for that matter. It's great to hear that clearly that organisation can pull together and be quick and creative and all the rest of it. And there are most certainly people that are in there. Um, and you found them and, you know, you led them and everything else. And so I, I stole think. one of them. <laughs> you stole one of them. <laughs> Is this the bit that we need to cut out? Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's really good to hear because, indeed, public service does get a bit of a bad rap around that. And it comes from people's experiences as the stereotype that exists there. But clearly it can be can be different. Look, honestly, the people that worked in the COVID, in the, the PIC, Public Information Coordination Centre, and the Health Emergency Coordination Centre, I don't think anyone from the outside would have any idea about really how small those teams were and just how hard they worked. Mm. Just it was relentless. Seven days a week, ridiculous hours. When there was an outbreak, it was, you know, and, you know, border closures, etc. You know, it was intense and... You know, it, it was um, – and those people really are sort of – you know, and it's still going on, right? Yeah. It's exactly. still going on. Um, you know, we thought it was six months, then it was 18 months, then it was two years, and, you know, that's that's still happening and they're still just keeping things yeah. moving. Did so. you enjoy that pressure at the time? Well, as much as one can. Like, do, do, you, do you thrive on pressure by seeing it like a challenge? Is that what happens? Yeah, look, I, th- I do – like I need a certain degree of stress and pressure in order to perform at my best. Um, I'm actually probably the least motivated when I don't have a deadline. Like okay. I'm very deadline oriented. My eldest daughter is also, I discovered that when she was five and started setting her a timer of when to do a homework by. Um, doesn't work quite as well when she's 16. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. It's just like, I think, 12 months in that kind of role is really all any human can do just, you know, because it is just so relentless and you just, you just burn out. Um, but look, I, I enjoyed it. What I particularly enjoyed was feeling like I, um, was part of the bigger picture. You know, it was the thing that I enjoyed the most was being able to work sort of directly with the chief health officer and her people to go, all right, what's the big picture look like? What do we need to, you know, what strategies do we need to put in place to achieve the things that we need to? Um, You know, that's where I operate best. I'm far better, I think, at strategy than just being tasked with things. Um, Having said that, I can do the tasks as well. No, clearly. <laughs> well, you've got to deliver. It's not just setting goals and telling other people to achieve them. I mean, it's funny because just before we start off with this podcast, uh, you and I were talking about deadlines and we're kind of getting frustrated about somebody technically not meeting them. And I know exactly where we're coming from because it's perfectly understandable. But you and I are like, 
well, come on, can we do it now? Okay, can it be this, this idea of not actually having a set deadline, but rather a loose one clearly annoys you and I on a personal level. I've realized that when we were talking I love before. a good project plan. Yeah. I love a good project plan. But, you know, it's um, that's just that's the way I'm built yeah, and that's, yeah, that's what yeah. I like and that's well, what I respond to. So, um, and with Hair Canberra, I, I can ask this question two ways. I'm wondering whether in hindsight if – you were building the business again from beginning, would you have done anything different? Or the way I could ask that question is rather, is there something about the evolution of Hair Canberra that really surprised you that you didn't foresee when you first started it up that was essentially a challenge? Look, there have been numerous challenges along the way and I think the hardest ones have been to do with, you know, sort of business stuff and people stuff. Um, which are inevitable in no matter what you do. Which happened to me, the two things you didn't have on that A4. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Look, I think in terms of um, in terms of the actual business, the thing that probably – I mean, I've, I've never been a five-year plan person. Just I'm just not – that's not how I roll. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I love that agility. The, the, I, re, I remember acutely, I think it was um, – must have been in 2013 was uh, I, I did the first ever sort of, you know, five new places to eat articles. And it was purely because I think there was like um, there was a place opening at the Kingston foreshore and I think it was the new Acton, uh, the Acton West, West Side Acton Park and a couple of other things. And I thought I'll just bung them all together and pop up an article. And this thing went bananas. And I remember thinking, huh. Okay. People want this. I'm onto something here. And, you know, so I guess that the, um, you know, her Canberra becoming really sort of Canberra's lifestyle Bible was a really lovely surprise, but in hindsight, probably not that surprising given my interests because <laughs> I love food, <laughs> um, you know, and I, I love discovering things, but it wasn't a conscious thought for me that, you know, I never had a goal of, I want her Canberra to be the, you know, mm. the ultimate guide to Canberra. Um, the things that have been hard have, yeah, just been navigating just, you know, it's it's a churn, right? It's, it's relentless mm. that you've got to make enough money to pay the bills. Mm. And just particularly in digital media, just as we talked about earlier, just nothing stands still right you know when i the first couple of well the first few years after her camera kind of really hit its stride i was getting so many bookings for digital banners right you know and that was probably the bulk of our our income and this was when at a time when there was a real pushback against sponsored editorials which is hard to believe now because you know after 10 years everyone's it's just an accepted well, part of the landscape. Influence is getting paid to influence. Yeah, That's yeah. what that is. <laughs> but, you know, then programmatic advertising comes along and all of a sudden you're not getting any bookings for banner ads and so you've got to constantly reinvent yourself and think, okay, all right, well, that, that sort of um, revenue pipeline has really dropped. How do I now make that up? So it's that constant reinvention and just the the stress of just being a business owner who has employees because yeah. you're very conscious that it's not just about you um whereas you know when it was just me as long as i had enough money to buy the groceries and pay the kids school fees and all that sort of thing it was fine but you know the the moment that it becomes about more than you that's the stuff that keeps you up at night yeah and, you know, and there have been times where over the years I've had to make difficult decisions and let people go, and that's really, really difficult. Well, clearly the COVID thing that we spoke about before, which yeah. forced you back into a city government. I don't want to say forced because that sounds like it was against you. Well, that was the right decision to make, but yes. essentially pr- presented that opportunity yes. and need. Um, but clearly that, that affected a lot of businesses, including this one. So that's, you know, nothing you could have foreseen, really. No. Well, that was that's the thing, like, you know, it's sort of, I'm not a, you know, I don't have a risk assessment matrix. However, you know, um, a pandemic was not on any kind of, you know, risk um, landscape that I had, you know, sort of because her camera was doing bloody brilliantly, right? We, yeah. you know, we'd, 
we're just publishing, I think, our 20th magazine, which, look, the print magazine, it was inevitably going to, to conclude anyway. You, you can't um, continue to publish a, a beautiful 140-page print magazine free um, and absorb the cost of that. It's just, you know, so that was inevitably going to, to come to an end. But, um, you know, we were really doing very well and then literally within the space of, I think, 72 hours, we, I think, lost something like $40,000 worth of forward bookings. You know, we couldn't do events anymore. Yeah. We, you know, our pipeline had dried up. We had, you know, were about to go to print with a magazine that we then had nowhere to distribute through. You know, it was just it all ground to a very, like, screeching halt. And I just remember, you know, sitting down with my husband, who is very sensible and very good at business, and looking at the numbers, and I was like, how are we going to do this? Like, and that's why... With the added pressure of knowing that you've got people you employ and that... Yeah, the pain of trying to figure out what to do. And this was before, you know, you know, it seems so long ago now, but this was before they'd announced anything about JobKeeper or anything like that. Um, and look, and JobKeeper certainly helped to a certain degree, but it doesn't cover everything. And when you're a business that's dependent on hospitality, tourism, event income. All the things that there's get hit by nothing, this. Like there's yeah. no income. Um <laughs> So you can't get blood out of a stone. And, you know, that honestly, I just, it was just nightmarish. It really was. And, you know, yeah, and it was just kind of like, but as I've done with many times of adversity in my life, you know, when Soph was born really early, other things, my attitude's always kind of just been, all right, well, what do I need to do to get through this? And so, and you just do it and, you know, and we're, we're all still doing it, right? Um, we're all still getting through this crazy pandemic world. Do you, um, you know, I spoke, um, obviously mentioned that, you know, you sat down with your husband, um, and I'm sure there was more than once to try to work these things out. Do you have other people, and I don't need to know who they are, but the way that you were talking about community and how important that is for people and what her camera does in terms of connecting others. Did you have others that you could reach out to, whether it's for advice or just emotional support or anything else like that? Or do you tend to take moments where you have to go through life's challenges, whether it's to do with health or business or whatever else, kind of to yourself and go, I have to wake this up first. I'm just wondering whether you kind of tackle challenges yourself first before you go out to others, or do you immediately kind of go, I need a support network to get through it? Yeah, no, I'm a talker. I'm an oversharer as my ENFP memes will tell me. <laughs> um, look, the Her Canberra team is incredibly close, incredibly close team. Um, and, you know, so pretty much from, like, when things started to go pear-shaped, um, I was very, very honest with them um, because, you know, look, they had to make some sacrifices as well, like, you know. Um, obviously, we had to... Um, let some people go but you know for the remaining staff you know we needed them to also take a bit of a cut in terms of you know what we we're paying them and that was even with JobKeeper um, and they had to like you know when I said hey surprise going to take a business year out of the business so that you guys can stay um, so <laughs> here's a website <laughs> look after it <laughs> I, because you know, going back into the public service, it wasn't as if I could keep tinkering away at things. Oh no, no, I'm, like, I'm well I had to step much, yeah. right away, very much arm's length, um, and you know, and they did incredibly. But the relationship well. you've had and still do with the people that work here, you clearly had a humongous level of trust, right? Because. Yeah. You know, you, you've built this with others for a very long time, but the fact that you're all very close, I think probably would have helped you go, it's good. Whatever they do, I trust them wherever oh, they take it. Well, it's theirs as, you know, it was theirs yeah. as well. You know, it, it's never, the, the way that we work, it's never been about me sitting up the top and directing my minions to do things. Like this is, this is a collective, like this is our baby, not, not just mine. And, 
you know, whenever I talk about her camera, it's always a, a we, you know, an owl. Um, and, you know, Emma McDonald's been with me for now, what, six years, Laura Peppers, who um, is now back with us, has been with me since, you know, 2015. B, who is now gallivanting around Europe somewhere for six months, <laughs> you know, has been with me for nearly as long. Like, you know, they've been part of the family mm. for a really long time. And, and I know that they are utterly, utterly devoted to her Canberra and, and to me, which is lovely. I mean, I always sort of say, look, it sounds incredibly, incredibly corny, but they really are like my sisters. And sometimes we, don't see it eye to eye and that's fine, but we respect each other enormously and we trust each other. Hmm. And, you know, and they did a brilliant job. And, you know, that was, it was really important to me that they felt that they didn't need to come to me, that they could, you know, they, they know the product. They knew what the community needs and wants. So, and yeah, and they steered it through. A year, a really hard year in beautiful fashion. Yeah, and then here we are a couple of years later and onwards and onwards. Um, I was just thinking too that in terms of the way that you look at, if, if I could just say her camera's a product, do you look at that now and think or at least feel fulfilled? The reason that I ask this question is it's very common for people with a fair bit of drive and especially with five brains and all the rest of that to stop and kind of really enjoy the moment and see things as complete, they tend to kind of almost move to the next thing, to this next thing. And we as the outsiders looking at that go, oh, they've created this, they gave it life, that project is still going or that project is complete, now they're onto something else. I'm wondering, do you have those kind of chapters and things of completion in your way that you perceive this or is it just this thing that just keeps on going and see what's next and its evolution? And It's an interesting question because, you know, um, right before COVID hit, I'd been thinking about what's what's next for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been doing this for 10 years, now nearly 12. That's a bloody long time for me. Like, as I referenced before, short attention span. Hence, you know, the amount of reinventions there have been over the years. So, you know, B and I had actually been talking about, because she was planning to go to Europe in 2020. We all know how that went. Um, you know, and we talked about, all right, well, you go and do that. I'm going to think about what my next step looks like. Then you can come back and take a step up into, you know, running the show. And by then I'll have figured out what I want to do with the rest of my life. You know, as it turned out, I took the sabbatical. She stepped up anyway. <laughs> um, look, I I don't see it as all wrapped up and, you know, this this is it because I don't think you can in um in this world that we're living in in the digital media space because it's always moving you know i you know maybe five years ago i could have said well i've got this great website and it's performing really well and you know there you go i'll be off now but for me now i sort of see you know there's there's so many challenges um as we sort of talked about before you know we've got this new generation coming through that consumes media in an entirely different way and, you know, we've recently employed um, two part-time final year UC students, go UC, um, who basically I said, look, I want to get onto TikTok. I'm a nearly 50-year-old woman. I don't think TikTok people want to see a nearly 50-year-old woman on that. I don't know. You, you just you go and do what you do on that. And, you know, and it's been brilliant to see them take that and own it and, you know, make the Her Canberra brand live there because i'm conscious that it can't just be stuff that you take off the website Mm. and shove it on here it's got to be a complete product and it's got to work there so i don't see this as a sort of a wrapped up journey i see it as a journey that's going to continue and it's going to morph and you know her camera as a product i think will continue to change i you know I kind of think that there are probably some more changes in store just in regard to, um, you know, it, her Canberra as a currently a very gender specific led, um, publication. I think that, you know, our young people have, are teaching us a lot about how we see gender and the world and i think that you know that will inevitably lead to some changes for her camber in that space the um the key i think is to evolve the brand 
um, with the people who love it rather than, you know, away from its sort of loyal roster on audience. So I think, you know, for me that's going to be a, a future focus. Um, but no, I never feel like it's kind of, it's done. Mm, yeah. And I mean, maybe the basic or probably last question out of this too is that if you were to like think of what is the most successful bit or in other words, how you deem success of her camera, what makes you the most happy about it? Is it that you've connected people? So is it just that base principle? Is it the fact that, you know, people know you when you walk down the street and I would say, you know, you're famous in Canberra. Is it the fact that you get to go to lots of restaurants and people care about the opinion that you have on that? Tell me, like, what, what is it that you think back to? Um, it's certainly not the famous bit because I certainly don't think <laughs> of myself that way and I'm honestly far more comfortable at home on the couch in my Ugg boots with a cat. Sure. Um, it, it really is about connectedness. I mean, for me, the best thing that someone can say to me is that um, her Canberra has been, you know, their lifeline when they've moved here yeah. or, you know, and, you know, and we get the sweetest emails from people who are saying, you know, I've just moved here or I'm going to, you know, someone put me onto your site when, you know, six months ago when I was, you know, found out that I was going to be moving to Canberra and it's just been, you know, it's just been the best thing. I feel like I'm connected to the city. And honestly, that for me is the greatest um, compliment that anyone can give me because, you know, that was what it was all about, right? It's just, you know, all that, all those years ago, that was what I set out to do. And so it gives me enormous satisfaction to know that that's what it's actually doing. And, you know, I know it's really corny, but I honestly do love this place and I really want others to love it. And I get really cranky when people write it off. I actually nearly got into a fight with someone on a Tasmanian ferry about Canberra when she said how crap it was. <laughs> and you can't get off a ferry yeah. until it gets my, to the other side. My husband was like, babe, just just settle down. I'm like, nope. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, that's really what – look, obviously going to great restaurants, fabulous. <laughs> nice Love that. Well, Love that. Yeah. But honestly, it's just like – I worked bloody hard, particularly, you know, well, I've been working bloody hard since the start, but, you know, those first few years, I, you know, this stuff just didn't fall in my lap. Like I had to work for it and I had to get out there and, you know, I had to find things and I had to email people again and again and again and call them and go, hey, I've got this website. Can you give me this information? You know, so all the networks and everything that we have now and all the emails we get from people now wanting to be on the website, that hasn't just kind of happened, you know. Um, and I think that, you know, Canberra is a city that's about connections. We are an incredibly supportive community and we will support each other. And, you know, and the reason why her Canberra works is because that's what we're like. We're a smallish city. We have each other's back. We see ourselves as Canberrans mm. rather than someone that lives in Gungal yep. or, you know, we are Canberran and that's inherently, you know, how we see ourselves. Um, so I guess even though, you know, it's, it's really hard to take a step back and take a look at what you've achieved objectively when you're still in it every day, you know, you don't kind of like – I'm still answering emails and putting things in, you know, what's on stuff and answering the phone. Like um, it's hard to have the perspective, but, you know, it does make me really, really proud when I look at, you know, what it's become and when people say to me, you know, you've really had a hand in, in transforming this city. I sort of, I don't think about it like that. But when I do hear that, I sort of sit back and go, Well, oh, 10 years yeah. of content and good content. Well, yeah, I guess I that. have. And, you know, yeah. and that's incredibly um, complimentary, but also really, really satisfying. Well, I'm kind of hearing two things. On the one hand, it's about having an impact on someone that you don't know. 
that that thing. So helping a stranger, if I can say it that way. And the second thing is there's most certainly an element of creating the right legacy. One very last question, and maybe I'll almost pose it as an answer. At the very beginning, I said, I wonder how you do all these different things that you do, including being able to fit in this this conversation for an hour. Am I right that one of the ways that you deal with the amount of work and variable things that are happening is by not getting flustered, by almost reducing them down to, well, this is what it is. How do we get through it? And do you kind of, I know we spoke about that in terms of the bigger things that have happened to you in life, but do you kind of do that on a small micro level as well? And is that how you manage to do all the things that you do without ever looking flustered. <laughs> you know? uh, I, I was saying to someone earlier today that when I first became a director in the public service, my boss said to me, called me into her office once and gave me this really bad piece of news. Don't, I can't remember what it was. And I just said, yep, okay, no worries, I'll, I'll deal with that. And she said, Amanda, I love how calm you are, but sometimes I'd love you to lose your shit. So I know you understand just how <laughs> important alive? this is. Um, that's just that's just how I how I roll. Look, for me, I the answer is that I function best in a fluid environment. I've never been more stressed than when I was working part time in the public service while I was running her Canberra and had young children and I had to my life was basically divided into pre-work where I had to get kids up get kids to childcare, run to work work all day do everything in reverse you know and it was that kind of there was a very very clear delineation between home and work for me I've discovered over the years and it's something you know I think we were probably ahead of the the COVID curve in terms of the the flexibility I think we all work best when there is that they mesh together, you know. Um, so for me, I might, you know, I start work at 6.30 in the morning when I do the first Facebook post of the day. But then, you know, I might do something else and then I'll go back to it. And then I'll, you know, I clock off at 5.15 because I'm going to Zumba at 5.30. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I've got Dance Mom Taxi roster that I need to fit in there somewhere else. So I've learnt... Um, over the years that I need to have boundaries because I'm someone, I am a bit of a workaholic and if I let myself, it will overrun my life. And so, you know, I've learnt um, that I need to manage myself in that regard. Um, but, you know, just that I always sort of just talk about, you know, work and life being a flow rather than being, you know, separate things. Um and I'm lucky that I've been able to, I guess, design a life that lets me do that. Um, and, you know, and spend time with my family who I adore more than anything. And, you know, and, and spend time with my lovely work colleagues who I adore almost as much. And just, you know, and do things that fulfill me. And I think that, you know, that I'm hoping that moving forward, if COVID's taught us anything, that that's a lesson that we'll take forward <clears throat> is that, we actually all function better when, you know, we're not trying to segregate bits of our life. Very cleanly, yeah. That that flow in and out for sure. Flexibility that comes with it as well. I mean, it, it does sound that you most certainly have um, discipline, like you've mentioned, and that is an important part. So maybe it's the contrast between a certain level of discipline but fluidity around that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great to hear. I think that will be very helpful to a lot of people who are, trying to work out how to start things, but how to fit them in and how do you create more time? It comes down to the flexibility they're talking about. I think it's also, you know, it's knowing yourself and when you work best. Like for me, by the, like because I start so early, by the time it gets to the evening, I have no brain left. Like <laughs> exactly I just do not. So whereas the lovely Emma who works for us, like I get emails from her all the time at two in the morning yep. and that's how she rolls. And, mm. You know, as a team, we've just learned to respect each other's work style mm. and strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, for us, it works best when, you know, we let people determine their own, you know, best paths, I guess. I promise you, you will never get an email from me at 6.30am in the morning. <laughs> but you will lay late at night. <laughs> I don't have any discipline about going to bed, unfortunately. That's, that's the problem there. 9.30 is late for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, 
thank you so much for the chat. I really appreciate it. Um, I've learned a lot of new things. I remember we had a chat when I did a home story on you, which seems like forever now. And we started actually talking about some of the things that you've discussed here. And I was trying to remember them for this conversation, but we actually covered every single one of them, which has just been great. Yeah, um, so thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be an interesting insight for those who obviously read uh, the magazine and the website and everything else that you do and now follow you on TikTok and all the rest of it, right? Oh, well, you probably won't see me on TikTok. Well, not you, but I mean, <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Unless, yeah. I don't know. They'll maybe they'll do an oldies edition. <laughs> no, <Come> no. <laughs> not even fifty. What are you talking about? Um, yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so I'm sure it'll be a good insight to, to those people that, that follow all of that. So, yes, well, thank, thank you. you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Indeed. Thanks. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Amanda Whitley on Behind the Bio. I hope you enjoyed an insight into her life. And ultimately, if you're reading any of the articles on her camera, you will probably get a greater feeling for where all of that desire to connect Canberrans together comes from. If you'd like to get in touch with me, then please do so. Uh, the best way to do so is via Instagram, at Behind the Bio Podcast. And if you prefer email, then Ashley underscore at Outlook.com is the way to get to me. I really enjoy hearing from you all, so please don't be shy. And if you like this podcast and you think someone would enjoy it, then please let them know. This is how the information about this podcast spreads. I hope you can tune in to the next episode of Behind the Bio. And until then, keep well.